You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series. My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith. Welcome to the show. The interview subject I've got coming up for you is Lars Nedland. He's in Borkniger, Solofeld, and now White Void. The debut album from White Void is called Anti, which is the catalyst for the conversation with Lars. It'll be out soon, that being Friday, 12th of March, 2021. I love talking to guys like Lars. I've been a fan of Borknagar for many years. You'll hear that through the conversation. Talking to these guys that have been in the Scandinavian bands is one of my great joys in life, I have to say. So here he is. Lars Nedland from White Void, Borknagar and Solifeld. Good morning. Morning. <laughs> good, e- good evening for you, isn't it? It's the, uh, it's the night time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's uh, nine o'clock in the evening here. Yes, it's a sprightly 6 a.m., but that's great because I've got two young kids and uh, the earlier I get up, the better the mornings flow, you see. Yeah, right. Because if I get up too close to 7 a.m., which is when I try to get them up, if I haven't made the lunches, if I haven't taken the cover off the bird, tried to feed the dog, fed the fish, fed the guinea pig, what else have we got? The cat. Yeah. Organise the cat. It doesn't happen. It all grinds to a bloody halt. (laughs) Yeah, well, I have two kids, but no animals, uh, and we still have crazy mornings. So I can't imagine what you <laughs> have to go through. What's that? It's that thing. If you've got kids, you get it. Then they ask for the pets, the animals, and then they don't look after them. That that's okay. You know that's yeah. going to happen. We, as my my wife and I, we are the ones that actually end up doing everything. And uh, of course. It, at least things get done that way but yeah it just means that the days are probably an hour longer either side of when we'd like it but you know we yeah and everything's, everything's about logistics i mean that's what i find everything when you get kid everything's logistics you know you just have to scheme everything and set it up you know yeah, yeah. And, and and dealing with tantrums and i don't want to do this and i don't want to do that on top of your own bullshit as well uh which people with with who don't have kids will never understand what that is like yeah true <laughs> <laughs> how's the uh how's the phone calls been going for the album here because i am i'm a big fan of yours by the way i've been following borknagar for a long time uh 25 years or something whenever a year 1999 or year 2000 whenever i first heard the debut or not the debut but your first album with the group because yeah, I, nice. used, I used to uh, read Metal Maniacs from the United States religiously and you guys were their mm-hmm. darlings there was one one editor there yeah I remember like yeah, late, late, late 90s they wrote about us all the time yeah why, why do you think that was they, they picked up on a few bands there was you guys and Arcturus that they that they truly picked up on and just ran with and then I wouldn't have known about you guys if it wasn't for them yeah, I think it had to do with the fact that we were kind of pushing the envelope back then uh, when it came to what black metal was supposed to sound like. Uh, and they were sort of extra, they had an extra interest in, in those bands who were a bit left field. And I mean, even though Borknagar has never been like far out as, as Arcturus have, we've had a very like particular sound that that we didn't share with with all of the rest of the black metal environment so i i think it had to do with that you know the the avant-garde thing uh that 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 came around that time i'm so grateful for it because kids these days obviously i'm in my 40s the same age as you i think i am 
I'm so grateful for it because when you had that sort of editorial oversight and you had somebody who knew what great music sounded like, and they, yeah. this is where gatekeeping worked because these days, I, I, gosh, I do this and I probably get sent a week somewhere in the vicinity of between 10 and sometimes, mate, I'm not joking, up to 30 or 40 new releases a week. And yeah, it, it right. can range from singles to EPs to albums to just sketches of songs or thereabouts. But where do you start? And and as a journalist, you're grateful for that editorial oversight. So when you have people like, and I've spoken to Mike Greenblatt from Metal Maniacs about him and about the work that he did there with Metal Maniacs and the sort of staff that he had on board. I think when you are tuned in to a magazine, whether it be Metal Maniacs or, or Terrorizer, you trusted them to deliver you the best music possible, and and I think that's missing these days. Yeah, I mean they 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 had a sort of curating uh, role mm. uh, that they were the curators that that showed you what was worth you know listening to or, or checking out. And well, you had the different record companies also back then that had mm. their you know their approach when it came to what kind of bands they signed. Uh, and I mean, to a certain extent, you have you have some you have some record companies still doing that uh, of the, of the smaller one. Um, but yeah, it's uh, one of the things that happened about the whole you know the, the technology uh, um, democratizing everything, having to do with the creation distribution of music. Uh, the good thing is, uh, or everyone who, who really wants to create music and really wants to get it out there can do that. Uh, mm. And that means sometimes you get some gems because of that, that you wouldn't get uh, in the old system, you know, of the, of the 80s and 90s. Uh, the bad thing about that is just the overall noise, you know, it's just yeah. too much. There, there's yeah. so much going on. So it's really hard to navigate. And, and I think... I love Anti, by the way. I'm a fan of yours. So listening to Anti, I can I can hear the progression from when I first started listening to you all those years ago to right now. Mm. I've had so I've had a few quick scans of it, but then I had a deep dive last night where I sat down with headphones and was able to to get into it. And, and I'm deeply impressed with what you're doing because for, you. for somebody someone like you, you've been at the cutting edge of. I feel as though Scandinavia has bought the, the world's greatest rock and heavy metal for the past 30, maybe even 35 years or so. And you've been at the cutting edge of that for most of that time. So every time I hear something from you, I know it's going to be quality. I don't have to worry about it. It just depends on the direction you decide to take it in. And I, I do feel as though you've taken it up a level with White Void. You've taken it into brand new territory that it's not that I wasn't expecting it from you. It's like, wow, I haven't heard this from you before. And I, and I think you've taken some risks, which I love. And I think they've paid off because the song, uh, my favorite song so far, keep in mind I've only had it for a couple of days, but The Fucking Violence of Love, love it. It's one of my songs of the year so far. It's It sounds to me after I've said all of that as though Auntie's the album that you've been threatening, if that's the word I can use, to make for a long time. So is that the case? <laughs> Yeah, in a way, uh, the funny thing about this this whole ordeal is um, it, it kind of grew uh, naturally out of uh, stuff I was already doing. Um, the, the start of everything when it came to this, um, at least in terms of the actual music, was back in, I think, 2017. Um, I sat down and I just, 
I had a run through of all the songs I had on my computer that I, I hadn't really used in any of, of, uh, of my bands yet. It's like I, I, I write music regularly and I, I never write specifically for a band. I just write music and usually it falls into a, a category naturally, you know, oh yeah, this is a Bortnagar song or this is a Solofold song. Uh, but I found out I had quite a few songs that didn't really fit into any of those categories. Um, and I also found out that they had a common denominator, uh, these songs, and that was the fact that they had this like 70s approach in the way that I made the riffs. Yes. So that was the start. So I found out, okay, I've got something here. There's clearly something that I want to express um, that's not coming out through, you know, the, the channels that are Bortnagar or Solofold. Um, so I, I kind of started to to explore that a bit, um, and that's when the the sort of '80s new wave thing came in here. Because mm. when I started, um, I, I put together like a, a skeleton of a song, right, with just the riffs and some some simple drum programming to get an idea, you know, of of um, of the song as a whole, and <clears throat> I started working with the vocals, the vocal lines, the melodies, and I found out what I'm doing is I'm channeling my inner, I don't know, Simon Le Bon or something. Nice. It was just really clear from that, that, that all of this came from the early era 80s new wave movement, and I, I grew up with that music. I used to love that, you know, your Eurythmics or New Model Army uh, or Duran Duran for that matter, um, Erasure, all of these bands that had, they, I mean, the, the whole movement, it came from the punk movement and it was kind of, you know, electrified and popified, but it kept, um, it, it kept that kind of rebellious attitude, even though it was soft and it had that longing to it, you know. Um, the, the feeling of, of a sort of a melancholic longing. Um, and that mm. went really well, I thought, with uh, the sort of 70s basis, because um, I had that, it's like one foot in the, more or less the occult rock of the 70s, you know, with the Blue Oyster Cult or Coven, and, you know, mm. that way of, of making that kind of eerie 70s hard rock. So everything just grew out of that, and I made... I just sat down and I wrote and the, the songs just kept, you know, uh, pouring out of me. It was really easy to write. Uh, I mean, it felt really natural. And I made, I just made demos of, of all the songs and all of a sudden I had enough for a full album. And that's when I gathered the guys and I, I sat down and I, I said, well, I, I need to do, um, I'm, I need to do this properly. I, I want this to be a proper band. I don't want this to be a project. I don't want this to be a one-off thing. I want to do this properly. Um, and I found all these amazing musicians that came from different backgrounds than I did. I, I was really you know, preoccupied with getting people in here that weren't you know, um, connected um, specifically to the black metal environment. They're not black metal musicians trying to play rock and roll. I mean, uh -huh. yeah. even even uh, Tobias, our drummer, uh, even though he plays with Isham, he he doesn't come from metal at all. I mean, his his bread and butter as a drummer is fusion. 
Um, so he comes from a completely different place, and that was um, uh, that was really nice for what you know came out of these songs because they kind of translated my feeble attempt at playing guitar or programming drums that <laughs> sort of wanted to, to show what I thought this should be and they just made pure gold out of out of things so yeah geez you, long answer sorry about that no it's a great great answer great detail there's there's a few key uh, things that I want to talk to you about uh, that you raised there the first would be the selection of the musicians because you are at a point where you could pretty much work with anybody you want within reason I suppose so did you have when it, when it started to evolve from being sketches of songs into something that you went hang on a sec this is actually a, a project and even beyond that it's a real band it's not just something I'm going to put out there at the ether and just let the few hundred people that, that will find it listen to it you've actually got Nuclear Blast behind you there's a full strategy and a full program so when you were when you were picking the musicians did you have people in mind um I didn't have people in mind. I had specific skill sets in mind. I, I had backgrounds in mind. And, um, the most clear one was for the guitarist, because uh, I wanted a guitarist that had a blues approach. I wanted him to, to play like classic bluesy, like bluesy rock solos. Nice. Um, it's like no, no tapping and and no like none of those like metal techniques i wanted this to be rooted in in like the classic attitude that's also why i went for for a fender guitarist <laughs> you know there, there's nice. something about those guys with fenders um that play things a bit different so he came you know he came to my home studio uh with his Fender, Fender um, uh, 79 model, I think it is. And he just sat down and he just started translating my riffs into, you know, his proper potent playing. Hmm. Um, so that was the idea. I wanted that blues rock uh, approach on the guitar playing. And when it came to the drums, um, I, I wanted power and sophistication. I didn't want, like, I didn't want a machine. There are there are so many excellent metal drummers these days, mm. but my big problem with a, a lot of metal drummers is they have a, um, like a machine approach to how they play. They try to quantify stuff themselves when they play it, and they're really good at it. But what you get from that is a kind of perfection in uh, in the recordings that takes away uh, the humanity of the playing. Uh, so I wanted a drummer who would who would push the tempo sometimes, who would lean back sometimes, who would work with his his ghost notes, uh, who would you know be a living, breathing drummer throughout this. And we took that through the through the recording as well. Um, th there are so much one takes on this album that, that I think five out of eight songs are one takes on drums. Shit. So okay. we kept everything in there. We kept all the all the minor, you know, uh, I wouldn't say mistakes because there there are no like mistakes on the album. But you have these, um, uh, you have these pockets that makes you understand that this is an instrument played by a human being, you know, mm. uh, and that was important. So yeah. 
Would you say that Anti is a concept album? Yes, it kind of is. Uh, because, I mean, everything um, everything lyrically is connected to the same uh, basic um, idea, uh, which is the philosophical direction of, of absurdism. Um, so, yeah, it, it kind of is. Uh, at the same time, um, the lyrics are written in a way that makes them... You know, they're, they're connected, but it's not a linear story like you would have in, in many. It's, it's not like an Operation Mind Crime or, or any of those sure. albums. It's just that they're, they're more loosely connected. Um, I, I try to write lyrics as um, a sort of stream of consciousness run through of what, uh, how the brain reacts um, to the fact that uh, existence is absurd and how how it falls how it falls apart and is put together again in a different way after you realize that as a human being mm-hmm. uh, I'm uh, well I'm, I'm preoccupied with philosophy and I always uh, I always love literature as well so I try to pick you know the best from, from both sides and, and combine that in um, in a lyrical concept that uh, sort of serves both both those things uh, but yeah, uh, there, there's definitely a concept that all of this is is tied down to, even though it's it like haphazardly written, you could say. So you mentioned earlier your love of new wave bands, and I'm the same way. And I, and I go even deeper. One of my favourite bands is Level Forty Two because I'm a bass player. So Mark King, he's just one yeah. of my gods. But but beyond that, I I love uh, a lot of the prog stuff. And when, when I was when I was listening with these things, these Air, Apple AirPods, and these are the noise cancelling ones. I'd had on. Have you heard of the band Sky, the prog band Sky? Sky. Yeah, Sky. They they played uh, Takata. Uh, check them out a bit later on. I think you'd enjoy what they do. They're instrumental, but they're yeah. pretty much yeah. like an instrumental version of Yes, but even more technical. And oh, I was listening okay. to a song called Takata from Sky, and then I had your your album on, and it sounded very much the same. So that's oh, you take, please take that as a compliment because when you find when you find Sky and you listen to the song Takata, you'll know what I'm talking about. But the point is, your production on Anti is crystal clear. So how did you achieve that? Well, we worked a lot with um, how to record things. Um, we we haven't done any editing after we recorded stuff and that's that's one thing i mean you you lose when you start editing and moving stuff you lose the space around the music you 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 lose the space around the sound Mm. and what often happens i find when when you when you quantify you move things and and you you isolate things and you work with things in production afterwards after you've played it um you you make everything sound denser. Uh, so I think uh, the, the production of Anti sounds clear because we just left it there. Like uh, you can hear the sound of the room, uh, and we were really preoccupied with with leaving space within the music and within the production, uh, so that you should be able to to hear everything, uh, even though there's you know. Uh, sometimes you have a punch, you have the rock and roll punch, but sometimes you just open up everything and and you let you know, you know just the int- instruments 
take their place. Um, so I, I also have to really compliment uh, Oystein, who produced this album. You know, the guitarist of Borknagar. He mm -hmm. he built um, he built his own studio, uh, I guess, about five or six years ago. And uh, when he's uh, when he hasn't been like writing music or, or touring with with us, all he's been doing is sitting in that studio, nerding over everything having to do with sound. So um, he produced uh, White Void together with me. We mixed it, and he has put down an, a, a tremendous effort in just uh, fulfilling that vision that I had. I sat down and I talked with him, and I said that I, I wanted to sound like this. I wanted to sound organic. We're gonna we're gonna record this organically. We don't want to edit it after we recorded it. Can we make sure that we have you know? space around the instruments and he he sat down he experimented and he worked with with it up to the point where it sounded like like you hear on the album now so mm. uh, yeah I'm, I'm really glad you think you achieved that oh definitely yeah it's definitely as i say with the amount of material that i get sent it's not a criticism but it's an observation most of the production is to some of the points that you made earlier it's so quantized and so compressed it sounds like an extreme version just from a sound perspective of that bloody awful metallica album from uh what 2008 the yeah. death magnetic thing and i i, I turn it off because yeah. as soon as it's compressed i'm out i can't do it yeah yeah i have the same thing that's why we also mastered that uh, we mastered the uh, the album in the same studio, and we did different masters for for all different formats. There's a CD master, there's a vinyl master, uh, and there's also a streaming yeah. master. You know, we did different masters for streaming just to try and make sure that uh, all these systems that everyone has that sort of packages the sound uh, wouldn't get near and touch our production. You know, so so we customized everything. Um, out of the specs that we we had, so that it shouldn't be tampered with by these weird systems that they have that will compress stuff before it's released. You know, same you're, thing with YouTube. You know, you're one of the only people that I've spoken to that's doing that, and I cannot understand why that is not happening more often because they are all they've got different compression ratios, and 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 like I love vinyl, and and I'll probably end up getting this album on vinyl. But the rea reality is I'll probably be listening to it most often in the car, which is going through so my mm. iPhone, wherever it is, through a god-awful Bluetooth speaker because I've got an old Jeep, which doesn't have an integrated CarPlay system, through, through, the, through the 2006 vintage speakers that I've got in the car. So there's four or five points of, let's call it failure, that can occur before I'm, I'm hearing something. And it, it inevitably sounds like a blanket has been a wet blanket has been thrown over it so unless the artist has done the work to begin with to help you on that journey sometimes you can just switch it off well you know um we we know that most people will hear this music on terrible bluetooth speakers or in their cars or uh at stereo systems that aren't really calibrated and designed to, to bring the best out of, of albums. So, mm. uh, I mean, we, we test everything that we do on crappy equipment as well, because it, it has to work on a crappy mono uh, Bluetooth speaker, uh, you know, that, that you can buy for, for uh, $10, you know. Uh, but at the same time, we, we really want to, to make sure that we do everything we can uh, 
for those people who actually put in an effort to, to bring the best out uh, of the sound. And it's like my stereos at home, I, I don't have the, the most expensive stereos, but they're okay, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, but, but they have, um, but they have enough, you know, um, fine tuning to, to, um, allow me to hear the difference between a CD master and a vinyl master. So I can, I can hear how much it has to say that the vinyl was actually mastered for vinyl and that the CD was actually mastered for CD. And, and, uh, yeah, that, that just pushes me to, to continue doing these things, even though for most people it doesn't really matter all that much. But mm. to guys like us, you know, it, it, it kind of does. Yeah. Yeah. I'll go on a bit of a tangent now because I'm one of those listeners, those fans, as I alluded to at the beginning of the chat. I feel as though Borknagar's 2001 album, Empiricism, is one of the most essential albums in heavy metal history. So do you get any trolling from old fans, people like myself that have been around a few years, who just want you to stick to that prog blackened style that you pioneered? Not, not really. You know, um, metal fans are mostly educated people. Uh, mm. they're, they're smart people, most of them. Um, I, I would get much more shit for the stuff that I used to do with with Sulafal back in the late '90s. <laughs> you know, the the crazy avant-garde stuff within yeah. the black metal framework. You know, like doing doing uh, uh, electronic drum programming and and hip hop vocals with black metal in '99. That that would uh, that would get me in trouble. That you know? upset a few people. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I mean, we, we received death threats after the Neonism album. <laughs> Just <laughs> straight down death, death threats because we were fucking up black metal, you know. I, I, I think I still have one of them uh, saved somewhere. Anyway, but d- today, um, it's not it's not controversial that someone who, who like works within the black metal environment goes out and do, does different stuff. Um, so th- there are some purists that will listen to this album and they'll go, yeah, that's pop, you know, that's not for me. And they'll just continue listening to Borknagar because I'm still in Borknagar. We yeah. still make Borknagar albums. And even though, I mean, we do progress with Borknagar as well, but uh, I mean, the, the, the musical core is still the same that it used to be. It's just we're not ACDC, we don't want to release the same album over and over again, you know? And nothing bad about that album, but it's just one album over and over again. Uh, so there's uh, something about trying to progress and trying to build on what you've done and trying to explore new territory, but with that, um, you know, history um, in the baggage, so to speak. Uh, so yeah, I I, I haven't had a, a lot of like negative comments when it came to that, but I've I've had a few comments just with people going, yeah, I think I'll stick with Borknagar, you know, hmm. <laughs> and that's fine. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to take another tangent. I've noticed this trend, and it's usually on Twitter for these idiots to dive into the back catalogue of musicians and to pick up on points that they feel might lean into. They make it up, by the way. None of it's based in any sort of reality national socialism and all of this sort of bullshit and i, I noticed it's happening a lot yeah to, to the scandinavian black metal artists it's just it's it, it's some more far more so than others but is that happening to you as well are you getting these idiots reach out to you and say oh hang on a sec what did you mean by this no 
Uh, and I think that's mostly because uh, you got to be really fucking creative to find anything <laughs> in our back catalogue. <laughs> well, they're just making they're just making things up at the moment. That's the problem. Like yeah. I, I was talking to a Ben from yeah, Denmark okay, who. Well, he was using Roman numerals yeah, in in their we've album. We've had no problems. With it. Yeah, we've had no problems with that. We've, uh, I, uh, I don't think I've had a single accusation when it comes to these things. But I, I think that's also probably because we we are pretty uh, eloquent people. We we can we can explain what we mean by things. We can do proper interviews. We, I mean, we speak English fairly well. So we'll be fine with with you know defending ourselves against you know stupid accusations like that, but yeah, no, not have uh, we've not had any problems with that, luckily. So your your accent sounds English. So you must be living in the UK. Yeah. You must have spent time in the UK. Uh, I studied English, uh, and um, when you studied. Uh, on university level in, in Norway um, you come to a point where you actually have to pick an accent uh, and, and you can choose between American or British accent because well one of the subjects is pronunciation um, so naturally I, I picked the English one over the American one <laughs> um, but it's it's created some uh, it's created some some funny situations over the years because People come to to interview some some Norwegian black metaler from from the woods of Norway, and out comes this like butler sounding dude. <laughs> so, yeah, but uh, I've, I've I've been to England a lot, but I've I've never studied there. I never lived there, but I'm I'm kind of stuck with this accent there. I, I made the point just about everybody that I've speak from literally everybody that I've spoken to from Scandinavia and I only recently graduated from university as well there are a lot of Scandinavian students here on the Gold Coast in Australia you might yeah. know that it's it's a big I don't know whether it's an exchange program they'd love coming here because of the beach and the weather and the culture is very similar yeah you probably know that the culture's not it's only degrees apart but um what yeah as as someone so you, you grew up did you grow up speaking both at home? Is it something that's taught from a young age or is it something that you're introduced to at school in the same way we here would speak German or French? No, I, I mean, English is everywhere in Norway. We we never got any kind of dubbing on TV like you would get in Germany or, or many of the other European countries or like uh, Latin America, Spanish-speaking uh, countries. Um, and uh, I've been preoccupied with music my whole life uh, and uh, I mean I was born in the 70s grew up in the 80s I would buy all these magazines about the music that I was preoccupied with and they weren't written in Norwegian so you learn the language that way uh, and we didn't speak English at home but I, I used it a lot because I um, I communicated internationally at an early age, yeah. So, uh, and I also have an interest in languages, you know. So, so it, I kind of just brought that with me. And I mean, language is is musicality in, in many respects. It has to do with with you know the tone of your voice and it goes up and down. And and uh, I mean, it's not that far from from singing. So, uh, I also have an interest in in that side of of languages. So yeah, languages are fun. 
Yeah, indeed. Yeah, I speak enough French to be dangerous and get myself in trouble, but that's it because New, New Caledonia is just a couple of thousand kilometres over this way, you see, which is a French territory. But, <laughs> yeah. uh, but I can, when I say get myself into trouble, I know how to speak enough so as though somebody thinks that I can speak French and they just let me have it. And I'm like, I have no idea what you just said. I can pick up words here and there. <laughs> but but it's, uh, that's a... I have a yeah, you go. Yeah, the fun thing about French people, at least French people, you, uh, um, people speaking French in France, is they they still think that French is a world language, you know, even though it's spoken like four different countries in the world now. Yes, agree. Um, yes. And um, they will very stubbornly not speak English to you if if you try and speak English with them. However. If you start trying to speak French with them, and they understand that you're hopeless at speaking French, then they are uh, they're okay turning to English. <laughs> it's a funny like psychological mechanism that. <laughs> yes, I've experienced that. I know what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah you, that's that's. I think that's what happened. I went over there as a kid to New Caledonia, and and they, none of the like, it wasn't that they didn't want to speak English. They couldn't speak English. So I was a kid and. Uh, to play with the other kids in the around the pool and on the beach and all the rest of it i had to learn how to speak the language like i mean it was you learn it by osmosis when you're a kid you're just around it and they say poisson yeah. which means fish and this sort of thing and, and you just go oh, okay and it sticks with you first time quite often and and yeah. most most of my recollections come come from that period but uh hey look i've got one more question for you and it's a question that i've asked uh, artists of your stature established artists and I, I tend to get, I either get, it's two camps, I either get the same response or it's completely different. But COVID moving forward and the state of the world for music, it's it's diabolical, particularly in the US with some of the states there with their huge lockdowns. But the, the point that I want to make about us musicians is that uh, we, you can't ply your trade. And the way a lot of people earn money is by touring. And a lot of venues are closing down. Are you hopeful that, that for the future, do you think that that some thought makers, is that thought makers, is that the right word? No, it's not. Do you think some people in a leadership position within our industry have figured out how musicians can actually get by in this post-COVID environment where everything's still in lockdowns in some of these important markets? Yeah, well, uh, to, to be honest, I don't think so. I, I think, you know, the system is... is so established now and um, the, the, the way that the money streams throughout you know um, everyone having to, to do and deal with music it's that I, I can use an example from Norway I mean Norway is a rich country and we have really good systems of, of taking care of the citizens when, when shit hits the fan like COVID um, and they have all these like economic packages to 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 bail out different industries, um, culture uh, gets very little here, uh, and there's a huge discussion about things, but it all comes back to the same thing, and it, it is, well, uh, if you can't make money from that to begin with, then maybe you should look at a different trade on the side. Yeah, same in know. Australia. So yeah. it's, that's another thing going, and I think that's. Um, uh, I, I think that's basically the same thing 
all over the world when it comes to these things. And it's like for myself, um, I didn't have any financial problems with, with any of this because I, um, I have a day job as well. Uh, I work as a, a film director. I make everything from commercials to TV shows. Uh, so uh-huh. that kept going throughout the whole uh, pandemic. And uh, I, I also do strategic work. Uh, so, so I have possibility in all the lockdown periods to work from home. So, so it's okay for my part. But of course, I mean, with Borknagal, we were supposed to do 60 gigs last year. Uh, didn't do a single one. Um, that's quite a lot of money. So yeah, if if we were living from from just music, that would have been a huge problem. Um, that uh, I I don't see an easy solution to any of this. I mean, the the biggest problem with all of this is Spotify, to be honest. Yeah. Because uh, you don't make money from from streaming. I mean, at all. Uh, we had many million streams last year with Borknagar, and we we were left with um, absolute peanuts. So, yes. Yeah. Yeah. God. That's Listen, a- I'm I'm looking at the time. Uh, I actually have another interview that started six minutes ago. <laughs> um, I can talk all day to you, or we can so have a chat all day. So I thanks for the chat. I kind of have yeah. to go, but if you um, if you still have some questions that you didn't get an answer to, uh, I I'm done with that interview. I guess I'll push that to ten ten past ten. That's ten past seven your time, I guess. And I have a possibility to, to come back and do some more questions then if, if you want to, to do that. I'd love to, but I've got to get um, the kids organized for school. That's the, that's, yeah, that's why I, I that's, so, so thank you for doing this one earlier yeah. in the, in the night for you, because, uh, I couldn't do it. Like if we had to start now, I would never get the, the questions in. I want to, but look, I'll let you go to the that's next right. one. I've been a long, long time fan, as you can tell. And, and I'm so grateful for the music you've made over the years. Much. Yeah. That's also why we've, you know the, the clock is running away from us because we we're having stuff that we like to talk about you know it's a good uh, it's a good conversation it's awesome, been an absolute pleasure talking to you. but you know if if you need some more just um contact arna and he will set up a new time or just send some uh, some questions uh, by email and i'll answer them okay. so that you get everything you need okay all right can do all right well thanks very much again mate thanks. appreciate it no thanks a lot it's a Catch pleasure you. bye thanks bye You've been listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series. My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Lars Nedland, who was in White Void, Borkniger and Solafeld. Thanks for tuning in.